How's it going, Sharice? Thank you for coming in on a hot Hong Kong Saturday afternoon. Well, every day is hot. So I feel like that adjective doesn't really add more to an explanation of what's happening. It's a scorcher every day. I feel like we are sweaty all the time. I I want to. We're never going to talk about Okay, fine. We'll stop. Weather talk. Stop. Let's talk about how you thought the mic was plugged in when it wasn't. I mean, I was 10 feet away recording something else and I brought the mic over and I tried to plug it in. So did you read any news about the NBA finals? Uh, yeah, I did. Did we talk about the whole J.R. Smith thing? Did we talk about that in person already? Uh, Alvik and I did. It was kind of weird. What do you mean by weird? I mean, just the fact that someone at that level could make such a schoolboy error, as they would say in British football. Apparently he made a similar error five years ago where he thought that the time... Like his team was up and he dribbled out the game. And also he's not been really performing well this entire um, season. Wait, sorry, for context for listeners. We're recording this on Saturday. Uh, NBA Finals game one was yesterday, Friday morning in Hong Kong. Jared Smith has the ball in the last couple of seconds and he thinks that his team is up. The Cavs, they're not, they're tied. And he dribbles out the game and then the Warriors win in overtime. So my question to you is... How, as a team, do you recuperate from that? Yeah, I don't know. I re- the thing is, it's also weird because everyone recognizes that it's not really the Cleveland Cavaliers. It's like LeBron James. You know no, I mean? no, I mean like... No, but what I'm saying is that like at the end of the day, like the team itself is really one person. Right. So I mean, the reason they're winning is yeah. because of LeBron. And there's no way to say that if Smith had put a shot up, like... It would have gone in, right? We can't but know. But he was literally like two feet from the bucket. Okay, we still don't know. But my question is, when it's that obvious that your team has made, like you said, a, your teammate has made, like you said, a schoolboy mistake, how do you as a team recuperate with this person? I have two. Because I just feel I like you think, oh, it. what a giant I have, dump. I have two takes on it. First take is that the game is rarely defined by what happens in the last seconds. Like there's a lot of smaller events or big events over the course of the game that leads you to that final moment. So like you could always be like, oh, who's that dude that missed the layup in the second quarter? Yeah, but I don't think that's what they're thinking. But I'm just saying like that is the sort of objective, like, hey, let's be a little bit more intelligent about this. There was another controversial call before that. The block charge? Whatever it was. Um, but also that's like- what, I mean, I get, I get what you're saying. You could have say, oh, hey, like the refereeing was bad. That's why we lost the game. You know, or however you want to psychologically think about it. Well, <laughs> I just I just accidentally drank some water and I don't know how long it's been here. So I had to spit that back out. I don't even think that was water. I think that was, um, wasn't that Fernet and soda water from last night? Whatever. Someone left a drink and I drank it. Anyway. You should blame. I think it was Alex. There, I don't think there's any booze in that. All right. Sidetracked. Second thing is that unlike other sports... I honestly think that basketball is not really a team sport. It's just Okay, like, even though you don't think of it as a team sport, you you have to admit that they have to live and work together as a team. Yeah. Right? And we've been talking a bit about, you know, team morale and how do you excel as a group I of mean, people as opposed to an individual. Literally, yeah. your June editor's letter is about that same Correct. subject. Correct. So what I would say is that it there has to be one rallying force and that's only one person to look at. I mean, there's two people. I think it all comes down to how LeBron James deals with it, because and, he, and off the court too is yeah. what I mean. Like the, co- the coach you know, has happen. a big play, mm-hmm. and making sure everyone is sort of back on the same page. But also, since 
this team's success is defined by the mood of LeBron James. And if he chooses to like, uh, this, I'm out of here. But honestly, at the end of the day, like, it's not like the game, it's not like the series is over. It's no, it's game. not. So it's not. a lot of opportunity to kind of bounce yeah. back. And if we record again on time or early next week, we're going to be talking about this again, most likely. What's new with you? Um, oh, this is like a, a random thing. So I'm going to this this blockchain uh, sort of job fair after. Oh, today? Today. And it's an interesting... Aren't you playing footy? No, that was this morning. Oh, you played already. Yeah, I played already. Okay. So what I think is interesting is that there's obviously... Within tech, there's a, a, a big sort of push to hire more females, right? Mm-hmm. But I think that right now that the inability to, to necessarily balance out the numbers, and I, I guess I would need stats to back it up, is that a lot of it is systemic dating back to, you know, maybe a generation ago. So like it's just as much as I think your your stat is, ob- is obviously a little more skewed than one you gave a few, like anecdotally, you gave a few weeks ago where you're saying that, oh, like it felt as though all the graphic designers that I went to school with disappeared or they just ended up not in the industry. Yeah. Like I think that, that is one thing though, because you actually have people that are going through the ranks. I'm curious, what is the admission rate of females in or mm. STEM faculties? STEM mm. being science, technology, engineering, and math. Yeah. To that point, it's like everyone is kind of championing the need for diversity, equality. But at the end of the day, it's like you can't really reduce your hiring levels, right? To like, oh, fulfill a quota. Mm-hmm. But also if the the overall sort of input is not there, then what what does that mean? And so, I think that's something that it needs to be considered too. Because like, I'm just making up a stat right now. Actually, if the computer's in front of you, I'd like you to see yeah, if there's sure. anything. Like, I'm sure there's still an imbalance. Don't get me wrong. But like, what is the actual like number of, of females entering STEM sort of um, faculties? And what is the actual sort of hiring rate? Which I'm sure there's still a gulf. Don't get me wrong. This one article from The Atlantic says only 27% of all students taking the AP computer science exam are female. That, that's just one example. Like they're yeah. one metric, right? That they're taking an advanced level course. 18% of American computer science college degrees go to women. So like that's the thing is there's a lot of systemic things there. It's either they're not being... They're not being encouraged to enter those spaces. But like when you're trying to hire people and you're trying to aim for 50-50, it becomes very challenging, right? What is a more realistic baseline? Is it like, hey, you should aim to have 27% or 18% of your workforce being female because that is sort of more representative. Hmm. Starting that off can't heavy. be right though. I, because let's say just, you... I, I think that whatever number I suggest is not necessarily what I think is the the talking point. It's more about... There, does there have to be a readjustment of expectations? Like if you only are graduating less than 30% of people, what but does do it mean you, but, when you're trying to hire? But wouldn't it work if not just one company, but all companies tried to hire for 50-50? Would it work the other way around that because you start hiring for 50-50, more women wind up you know, choosing this path? As opposed to waiting for more women to appear and then hiring for 50-50. I think it has to go both ways. I don't think it's one is going to fix everything. Okay. But my question to you is you're going to this job fair, right? Yeah. So what actionable things are you keeping in mind? Um, Because you actually have this rare opportunity where it's not just a theory in your head of how to behave, but 
you can put it into action. Yeah. I mean, it just feels weird too, because if you're looking to hire for more female inclusion, if I'm like, what does that look like? Like, is that weird in itself? Like, I don't, I'm trying to come to terms with that. Like if if I I went to a job fair and I like deliberately, not deliberately, but I only focused on speaking to, to female candidates, what does that mean? I mean, one, you'd probably look a little creepy if you only talk to female candidates. But I did see studies on this about how you talk about a job can attract either all men or all women or both. Mm-hmm. So Interesting. Being, I would like to hear this. I forget exactly what it was, but it was like when you choose more gender neutral adjectives or you describe roles in certain ways, it can be more fair in terms of like the appeal. Got it. Yeah. I forget exactly the terms, but I thought that was interesting. Because I think that in many ways, like the jobs that are available, like there's a difference between hiring a person versus hiring for like a, a high level person. You know what I mean? Like you could easily go and like hire 50 like EA, like executive assistants or whatever, and they could all be female, but that doesn't mean anything. It's like real change happens when you start hiring people in the C-level suites, you know? I, I mean, mean, I don't... I work, neither of us are in position, so that's... No, but I'm just saying like, I think that's the the a real challenge that I think is often... Like the second, the second layer within that, I don't think is often addressed. It's like, it's just really hard to hire STEM, right? I don't know if I preface it, but the job fair is like within crypto and blockchain. Yeah, you mentioned it was yeah. blockchain. Yeah. Where is this? Where are you going? You want to come? Maybe. Uh, Jill and Nicole are going. Really? Yeah. To what? Just tag just, along yeah, yeah, with you? Just want to see what's up. That is interesting. I actually am heading to Wan Chai. Anyway, so you're in. I, li- I really am because I have to drop off film at Color Lux. So you're in. All right. Why not? Okay. Let's get into it. So in early May, so Spotify called out two artists in particular, R. Kelly and XXXTentacion. And what this means is that those two artists' music wouldn't be found on company curated playlists, but it would still be available on the platform. So you could search and still listen to their music. It would just wouldn't be promoted by Spotify. And the reason R. Kelly and XXXTentacion were particularly called out is because they have outstanding allegations against them for sexual abuse and assault. Ever since this news came out, a lot of media publications, uh, individual musicians and artists, generally people all over have been like, you shouldn't be doing this, Spotify, because this is censorship. And it's the start of a slippery slope. So a lot of the comments have been, you know, not that we think R. Kelly and XXTentacion are innocent and, you know, blameless, but that Spotify's choice to do this could result in, you know, where the, where's the line drawn? Yeah. You know, like, so you as a company is just making your own decisions, like subjective decisions. So the reason we're talking about this now, because as a month since this week passed, is that Spotify has been walking back their policy. About a couple of days ago or a week ago, they announced like, okay, we're actually going to put R. Kelly back on, was it R. Kelly? Tentacion. Anyway, they walked back half of it. They were yeah. like, Actually, we've listened to you guys. We're going to kind of change back our decision and not make it so severe. And then most recently, uh, yesterday, they've announced again that they're completely scrapping it almost essentially. And they said it was rolled out wrong, 
let me read you the exact quote. The CEO says, I think we rolled this out wrong and we could have done a much better job. Essentially, what it reads like to me is that Spotify got scared by all the backlash uh-huh. and is like, we aren't going to double down on our decision. We're just going to listen to the crowd. I think that part of it might also be influenced by the fact now it's a publicly traded company. <laughs> As in, you think that there was like a board I mean, that was... I don't know what the board looks like, but I just think that in general, they no longer have the ability to have free reign over their decisions anymore. The well, thing is that the CEO well, was, I don't know. Does he still believe in it? Because there's a he difference said, between rolling it out incorrectly, but still believing it. Okay. He it. says that Spotify was attempting to be transparent while announcing this policy in May, but it turns out that the rules that they said they were enacting were too vague. And his quote is, the whole goal with this was to make sure that we didn't have hate speech on the service. It was never about punishing one individual artist or even naming one individual artist as well. Do you think it's up to, this is probably a tangent, but do you think it's up to us to personally define what what value we get from music ourselves? Like, can anyone else define that for us? So like the way I look at it is that if there's only, you know, one hour of Spotify time for me a day, should I be promoting people that are actually providing altruistic value beyond just good music? Because I think there's a lot of good music regardless. Or do I let someone like XXX have a spot? It's very philosophical. There's not really an answer to it, but it's just like, what is the... Like, that's the way I look at it is that we've always talked about how you can say it's like, oh, it's objective in the sense that like this, this is on my platform, but it's objectively there. Like there's no sort of like subjective underpinnings, but the, but by virtue of you allowing it to be there is a direct sort of um, choice. So the thing that I've been thinking about is I understand why removing certain artists for whatever decision, just choosing to remove certain artists from the library is problematic. Because at this point, Spotify is essentially like a library, right? As in, we provide everything. It's not it's not a curation, you would agree, in, yeah. in terms of the entire service. So I understand why removing it entirely would be problematic because they've set themselves in a position where we have everything, yeah, regardless of the musician's background. But I actually think I stand on the side where if they wanted to remove certain artists from a playlist, isn't that their choice? Because it's yeah. a curation? I mean, that's what I don't really understand because I think it's kind of a... A weak-handed move. Because there are so many artists that don't make it onto the playlist anyway because you've decided that their music isn't good enough, right? Like you already had to assemble a playlist of what, 50 songs out of everything out there. Rap caviar is not necessarily algorithmically driven. Yeah, exactly, right? So you've already made this subjective decision of what is musically good. And I feel like that encompasses just a subjective decision on everything. Oh, I don't like the rapper's name. You Honestly, you, you you can't say that as official policy. But the person who makes the playlist, they could be like, oh, I don't like this rapper's name. Like, yeah. not going to put him in. And then what happens when down the line, as we, I think we might have touched upon this briefly, but obviously Spotify is paying per play to um, record labels. What happens, let's make this up, but I don't think it's that far-fetched in five years. Spotify is a record label into itself. Who are they going to put at the top of those playlists? Obviously, their own artists. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah. Oh, of course. And they can, right? Because they're not- It's kind of like Netflix now. They're not a public service. Yeah. They're not a public service. They like, Exactly. Netflix can boost originals as much as they want because that's where their money- <laughs> They paid for it. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I feel as though I struggle to find an argument in like any sort of like contrarian take on what you just said there. I'm trying to even play a devil's advocate. Like I, I just, if the people like it or they want it, then so be it. I'll just let it. Be. I actually think I'm a little Maybe bit. that's it. I that's am the a only little... way I can push back and be like, hey, you know what? Well, Spotify exists to provide quote unquote best listening experience and the, you know, the best songs, whatever you want to call it. And it's not about having any sort of like societal impact or commentary. That's what I was going to say. That's all you can really say. I'm a little bit disappointed in Spotify because by deciding to walk back their policy, they're saying we're going to Spotify. I don't pay for Spotify. Okay. I also don't I was, use I don't use Spotify because I use Apple Music. Oh, that's what I was gonna say. I was hoping Just that you to be did totally, use Spotify. And you were gonna cancel on the air and you were gonna go to Apple Music. It's you were too gonna late digitally walk over to Apple Music. If there's new news about Apple Music, then I can do that on the air with great fanfare. I can digitally press the button and unsubscribe. Anyway, I was gonna say, I completely agree that what Spotify has done is that they've said, we're just gonna do whatever the public, whatever the loudest people of the public tell us to do. Instead of choosing to make a stand for their company decisions. And I think in, in general, that doesn't seem like a good idea to me. Even if I didn't agree with their company decision, them choosing to say, this is how we're different is more interesting to me. It's almost by virtue of the fact we've already sort of like broken down the different points that there there's nothing really else to talk about. Actually, that's super... Narrow-sighted. I'm sure there's something we're missing. Well, I just don't know what you it is and, right now. You and Pun had a conversation on the Slack yeah. about it, but it was about kind of a side tangent regarding Kendrick speaking out on the policy. Yeah. And Kendrick threatening to remove his music from Spotify in response to their hate conduct policy, which I'm sure also affected Spotify's decision. Yeah, I'm just curious what that looks like. I wonder, do you see a difference between music and TV shows and movies, et cetera? Because for me, like if someone was was going to do that on Netflix, then I'd be like, eh, I don't think it's a big deal. But I wonder if it is a bigger deal on Spotify. Can one artist actually command that much power? And one of my comments on on that was like, well, you've seen people that have gone to particular platforms to release album exclusives. Right. And they've kind of realized it's just really to their detriment because you just want as many people listening so you can be at the top of the charts. In the end, that could actually mess with Kendrick because where are most of the people? Where, well, it's not that they make a ton of money off streaming, but I'm just saying, like, a way of looking at it is that everyone's cool until it messes with your paycheck, is my opinion. Yeah. No, that's true. Obviously, I think that's true. I was thinking about what you said earlier about individual decision when it comes to supporting musicians. And I think about this a lot because it's not just about musicians, but actors or directors or all these people. If you if you see them do something in their personal life that you think is hateful or wrong, do you go consume the media that they produce? At this point in time, since there's so much, it's it's a reason to not do it, to not go and see it and to not consume like it. For example, Kanye just released a new album. If you disagreed with everything he said about slavery being a choice and his you know support of Donald Trump, 
do you decide I'm not going to listen to this album? I'm done. Yeah, I would probably, until there's any clarity. I mean, I'm a person that wants to know what's going on behind the scenes, how the sausage is being made before that tweet is being posted. Yeah, I kind of, I have no reason to really want to engage in that. And it's interesting to see like all the people that are, that went out to Wyoming for the listening party and like all of a sudden you forgot about everything else that happened. Like, but then everyone's going to have a different opinion. Like there's no sort of like binary answer then, there. I mean, some people have been saying, some critics, you know, entertainment critics have said, well, you should be able to consume and critic and criticize the the art, whether that's a music or movie or whatever it is, separate from whether you believe in that person's I agree. You know, I think opinions. that's valid. But, but you just said it comes down to paycheck, right? So by consuming that person's media... I know it's like, whatever, 0.001 cents, but I'm giving money to this guy or this girl, but I'm giving money to this person. So I, I, I agree. I think there's, there's different vantage points and everyone has a sort of trickle down effect from going to a Wyoming listening party for Kanye. You know what that means? It's like, oh, like I was there. Like, oh, I'm an influencer. Oh, I'm this. Likewise for media, it's like you're job is theoretically to report on culture and to like, yeah. so like I you don't can't know. really move past that. See, I wonder if that's like my excuse though, as an individual, like, oh, I need to know what's happening. I think you're allowed, I don't think I would ever question anyone who would, who would openly like champion how good it is or how bad, or just speak about how bad it is. You know, I'd be just curious to know, could you objectively differentiate different parts of this experience where, hey, I'm just listening it for the music versus, and then removing everything that happened on Twitter prior to the launch. Can you do that? I think it's incredibly difficult, but I would challenge it by, yo, did you even think about it? And if you didn't, I'm like, mm, basic. No. That's rude from me, but. Well, I mean, you, this is a sidebar, but you made an argument that basic is not pejorative. Yeah, but I did use it in a pejorative way there. Like, to me, I don't really care what the hell you're doing. I just want to know why you're doing it because I find that far more interesting and fascinating than the actual act itself. Okay, except that because I started this with Spotify. Yeah. Spotify has to be way more clear as a company, right, than an individual. I think it was probably rushed out the door without any sort of framework or strategy. Yeah. And maybe they didn't really think about what the backlash would be it is true i do i'm i'm not in disagreement with the with their hate conduct policy but i do feel like it was not thought through thoroughly and because they didn't have enough of a defense yeah if the they had had they, the fact that they didn't even like really just modify it and they did a 180 yeah that's a bad and look. that they weren't prepared with this is why we did it with a more clear backbone. I think they were just expecting people to be like, yeah, Spotify. Yeah, I do think so. Which is bad reasons to do it. You know, because actually that does go into, you know, being interested in why someone does something because I do think they did it because they wanted celebration and they didn't do it because this is our new company policy. This is what we believe in. I quite like this conversation. It was a good one. This week is a new theory linking sleep and creativity. 
It stems from an article in The Atlantic that features Penny Lewis from Cardiff University and came up with this theory of why sleep and creativity are linked. REM, rapid eye movement, and non-REM sleep work together to help us find links in things we already know, as well as help kind of identify solutions to big problems we might be facing. So in general, I'm not going to go too much in the science specifics of it. I think it's better served by the article itself. Yeah. It really there just, are some big words in this yeah, article, man. It really just talks about the relationship between... Okay, this is my understanding. Without getting too into the science of it, we can all agree there are different phases of sleep. Correct. Right? So when you fall asleep, it's not just like one phase until you wake up at seven or eight. Okay. And what these professors have discovered is that things kind of get played back through the different phases. Correct. So it's not like just one phase tackles the memories. All the phases tackle the same memories in different yeah. ways. Correct. That's my layman's so, understanding. Thank you for that because that helped me out immensely. So basically what it comes down to is that the way that your brain is processing this to solve problems is kind of critical because every phase does different things. So I'm going to I'm going to read a quote from Lewis here. Suppose you're working on a problem and you're stuck. In REM sleep, the neocortex will replay abstracted, simplified elements of that problem, but also other things that are randomly activated. It'll then strengthen the commonalities between those things. When you wake up the next day, that slight strengthening might allow you to see what you're working on in a slightly different way. That might just allow you to crack the problem. So I think that's what's kind of interesting is that it kind of makes me think a little bit you know, zoomed out in terms of how we approach sleep because I think sleep hygiene is one thing that has become increasingly important. And it's one thing that I think I've changed also in my workflow as I've sort of gotten older and like how you tackle big problems. Because I think part of me used to think when it comes to a challenge, like you can just brute force your way through it, which you could, but I feel as though now, like, especially as more conclusive evidence comes out, it feels as though being well-rested allows you to have more ammunition, be better prepared to solving big problems. Don't you own an Aura ring? Did I say that correctly? Aura, I think. Aura? Uh, it hasn't arrived yet. Oh, okay. Sleep tracker ring. Yeah. But I'm curious, what is your sleep hygiene? I Actually, this reminds me, this subject reminds me in April in the briefing, I wrote an the intro is signed off by the team, but I write at least 50% of them. Anyway, I wrote an intro about having trouble sleeping well. And then Seth Footring mentioned this app that helps you figure out your cycle yeah. and then wakes you up at the lightest possible phase, yeah, yeah. Right, which I really wanted to try, but it requires having a bedside table, which I don't have. Really? I thought you just put it on your bed because it needs to track your... It needs to track the movement of your bed. I think, no, no, no. It goes by breathing and the oh. movement can disrupt it. Anyway, the point is that my point of this anecdote is that I have a longstanding problem when it comes to good sleep habits. Really, all I come down to is I should get at least six hours. Yeah. That's all I think of. But I, I've been told that it also matters what time of day you sleep. So like the quality from 4 a.m. to 10 a.m. is worse than from, let's say, 11 to 5. Yeah. Even though it's six hours. But I'm just so, I just, I'm really bad at 
doing that? For me personally, I think what it, what it comes down to is just identifying how tired you are. Because the more tired you are, you kind of enter the sleep deficit. But I honestly, I, I agree 100% with this in that anecdotally, I feel like you're kind of grinding through problems and it's you're never really all that efficient. I think the science of this should be motivational. Yeah. Like it is, it is intriguing to me to think if I get more nights of this multi-phase sleep, I would be better at problem solving. Which I think is important. So it's not just, oh, I'm going to be awake, but that it actually makes my work better. And that could be more motivating. I've, I've actually, I, I like, sometimes I kind of cringe when people are like, oh, sleep is for the weak or like sleep is a cousin of death. Like that was sort of the longstanding belief in certain industries like streetwear or whatever. It's like, oh man, just grind it out. Like who cares? Like do a line of Coke or something. Like, mm, no, I'm good. I think I'll just get a proper night of sleep because ultimately, man, it's like, I think you kind of see like me just sometimes just pass the fuck out. Like yesterday, Friday afternoon, I was like sleeping on the beanbags, mm-hmm. like fell asleep. And, but I, when I woke up, I was like, man, everything is so much easier now. Yeah. Like, it literally feels easier. Yeah. Right. And I think that that's sort of the, the cultural change that needs to occur. Like, honestly, if you're tired, it's probably a bad thing if, you know, you're sleeping at the office, like taking a nap and then you end up staying longer. Like that's not my goal either. But in general, I think that we need to move past this. And I think a lot of people have sort of been big, big sort of supporters of this movement. Like Ariana Huffington has always been big on sleep, right? Actually, another takeaway that I get from this article is to start projects earlier. And what I mean, and this is something I was kind of discovering already, but I feel like this reinforces what I've been thinking, is that let's say you have something due two weeks from now. Even if you start it today and then you don't work work on it for the next week, it already helps you. Yeah. Because it like got that problem solving part oh, of your totally. brain going. Yeah, totally. I think that's really important too, is that sometimes there there it you require a, like this period of marination to work through problems. The bigger a problem is, the earlier you start passively tackling it. Honestly, there's moments where something might just randomly sort of connect. And I think that's the one important thing. Like I I I witness it. A lot now where you're tasked with something on, let's say, January 1st, you, it's due on, you know, January 21st. You don't start till a week before and you soon realize that some of the questions you have plus like lead time to get those questions answered really put you behind the eight ball. Yeah. Like yeah. I think that's one of the things that is obviously challenging. Like time management is not easy. Yeah. Well, because what I mean is that, and I, I agree, but to be more clear... I don't think it's that like, oh, you can't get it done in a week. It's that giving yourself two weeks of like processing is going to make the week of like actual grinding better. Do you see what I'm saying? I I feel like, so this is like a bit of an aside. Like I think we've currently entered sort of a phase now within our editorial process where everything is so much more streamlined that the quality of work is just inherently going up and I think that you know if a story is going to go live, you know on Tuesday and we've already finished it on Friday, you know you've seen the final layout. You still have two three days to maybe oh something came up and yeah. like, hey let's add this detail in, yeah. right? And I think that is so critical. And I would just like to get past a point where we feel as though everything needs to be done on a deadline. And if it's not done on a deadline, then it's not good. 
if that makes sense. Like, I feel like we've been, we've been, we get overly excited by like finishing things on a deadline. Like we almost put ourselves through all these physical burdens to do it that I think is wholly unnecessary with better management. But maybe that's just me looking at things this way. Like I think there's, I always find it interesting because like at the end of the day, everyone is working on things that are quote unquote ASAP. But what is the reality of that? Nothing can be, not everything can be ASAP. Do you think, I actually think it also has a little bit to do with aging because when you're younger, you you think, oh, like 24 hours before the deadline, I can get this done. Like I have that stamina. And as you grow older, you understand, you know, the benefit of working in smaller chunks over a period of time. And like you said, giving it, giving a project time to have new things come up. Um, At least for me, like for me personally, I feel like when I was in back in school, that would, that's how I felt about projects. Yeah. Like I would work back from the deadline. Okay. I know that 48 hours from the deadline, I can get everything done. But then you also sometimes underestimate how much work something takes because you haven't experienced it yet. But I, I would say the, the, the flip side, the best way to communicate that is the quality of work. It's not that you can't get something done in 24 hours. It's what's the quality. Um, I think that's really important. I think qual- I think now, especially when you're younger, you can do things fast and cheap. But as you get older, it's more challenging to kind of sell yourself. It's either fast, cheap, or good. Do you right? think there's any detriment to like, always being thinking about work up until you fall asleep. You're using your sleep phases to also work over these work problems. I mean, it depends. I, it was funny. Like I had a, <laughs> I'm just thinking about this. If it's like even a funny story, but like, anyways, one of the guys um, that I know, he had a dream that he had bought $4 ether. And Ether obviously is now, Ether hasn't been four bucks for a long time, but I'm just saying like that, those are things he's thinking about, right? And like, that's funny. I, I think that there also has to be sort of a, a reconsideration of what is working too much if you enjoy it. Mm. Like, mm-hmm. I, my, I was at this barbecue with my dad yesterday, and like, dude, my dad's, I think he's turning 65 next year, and it's like, and people are like, oh, you're gonna retire. I'm like, eh, I don't know. Like, he, he loves to work. And I don't think you should hold it against people that love to work. Like I love working, but also think that I've been very fortunate to like create work that I enjoy too. So I think that two things is just a, like a just a, an underlying respect for the quality of work you create, and and also being okay with like crafting. I think anyone that works in a in a creative industry is in some ways living in a lifestyle industry in a way. Right. So everything you do can be also tip into like your lifestyle. So why why fight it? Right. I get enjoyment out of it. I meet people that I find interesting, captivating. I just think that there has to be like underlying. I mean, I think like, there's also a difference between being your own boss and someone else being your boss correct. and working for let something me, that's let me not put your own. Spot right now, and do you feel that the general sentiment around sleep is changing? Like, do your peers and your colleagues? Do you think they, they value sleep enough? But see, I also wonder if this is related to aging. Because like, I, you know, I hang out with... Sorry, that's not... That doesn't sound... That sounds very creepy to say I hang out with high school girls. Um, I mentor high school girls in a structured format, right? I don't just like look for high school girls to hang out with. Um, and they are totally... They just disregard sleep entirely. Like, 
oh, I slept at 3 a.m. I slept at 4 a.m. I go to school at 7.50. It's like completely nuts to me. Yeah. But I, I think it's just a matter of experience. It's not aging, it's, ex- it's experience. Right. Like if I, if you really care about something you do, are you going to go to bed at 2 a.m.? Or are you going to go to bed at 10 p.m. or 11 p.m.? I think that's what it really comes down to. I don't think I would have valued sleep as much until I realized what it means to the work I create. I think it'll change. I honestly think it, down the line, like there's too much evidence that suggests sleep is very important. That if you care about what you do, then you're you're going to you're going to take it. I wonder if your aura ring is going to help you. Um, yeah. What's interesting? I don't really dream a lot. Like I don't remember my dreams. It's not like it tracks your dreams. No, but I'm just curious what that means for my like my sleep cycles. Oh. Because I don't really dream that much. The only time I really remember my dreams is if I'm taking like a 15 or 20 minute nap. Huh. Anyway, you should, when you get the ring, you should kind of- Review. Somehow, yeah. For people that aren't familiar- Check before and after. like a ring that tracks your sleep. It's on its second iteration. The reason I bought it, I don't know if I told people this, the reason I bought it is because- my wife lost my wedding ring, my wedding band. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, she I lost only it. know that you had to replace it. Yeah. It's in my house somewhere. I don't know where it is. It like rolled off the bed and like, honestly, it's not even a big apartment, but I can't find it. Really? No, I'm serious. Well, now that just sounds like a challenge. I mean, it would have turned up by now. I don't know. Okay. Well, anyway, we'll review in a later date. I think that's a good place to wind things down. If you are interested in learning more about Macon and reading our stories focused on the sights and sounds of creative culture, you can visit us at macon.com. You can also subscribe to us through your favorite podcast apps and platforms. And if you really like this podcast, tell a friend and give us a review on iTunes. You can also contact us by emailing stories at macon.com or if you want to hit up Eugene and I separately, we are on Twitter. Yeah, Twitter seems like the easiest one. I'm Eugene. I'm Sharice. And this is Making It Up.